It's time for cookies and crime. I'm your host, Karen T, and welcome back to another episode of Cookies and Crime. In this episode, I'm going to be covering the case of the Turpin family. And what I really love about this case is that there's a light at the end of the tunnel, there's justice, no one dies, and the people involved are so brave, courageous, so resilient, it's honestly so inspiring. But before we get into the case, let's eat a cookie. So I have a cookie from a local coffee shop here in Portland. It's actually like a five minute walk down from my place. And what's special about it is that it's an all vegan coffee shop. It's called Oracle. And so their baked goods are also vegan. Now I'm not gonna lie, I think most vegan desserts are a miss, um, especially when they're trying to imitate something that usually has like milk or butter in it. But I've had this cookie before and surprisingly, it is really, really good. And a good indication of that is that this bag is greasy as hell. So there's flavor in it. But let's take a bite. Mm-hmm. This cookie is like an eight out of 10. Quality chocolate, which I think is the most important when it comes to vegan desserts because it makes up for the lack of dairy and the texture is amazing. So for a vegan chocolate chip cookie, this place is bomb. And now that I have my sugar fix, let's get into the case. This is the case of the Turpin family. It's 5.49 a.m. on January 14th, 2018 in Paris, California, an old railway city in Riverside County. It's a quiet suburban street in a small suburban town. 17-year-old Jordan Turpin has just escaped her home from her window and wanders onto the street with a deactivated cell phone in hand. Her 13-year-old sister jumped out the window with her, but got scared and jumped back inside. The neighbor's security camera catches the act. As she walks away, she stops and hesitates before she starts running for her life. This was her only chance to escape the house of horrors that was her home, and she was going to die trying. Jordan Turpin is one of 13 children of David Allen Turpin and Louise Ann Turpin. David was born October 17, 1961. He was a bit of a nerd with a bowl-cut hairstyle that he never let go of and a stutter. He met Louise Ann Robinette, born May 24, 1968, at Princeton High School in Princeton, West Virginia. She was one of six siblings and the daughter of a preacher. She grew up with abuse and trauma in her household, according to her sister. They were all sexually abused, which is what Louise would later say is the reason for any of her wrongdoing. Their mother would rent them out to a wealthy pedophile and claimed it was to afford food and clothes. Her parents died in 2016, but she didn't attend either of their funerals which goes to show her own relationship with her parents. She was in the Bible club and sang in choir. The couple married in Parisburg, Virginia in 1985, when David was 23 years old and Louise was 16 years old. They initially eloped since Louise was only 16 and wanted to start a life with someone six years older than her. They managed to get to Texas before being caught by police and brought back to her parents. But once they returned, her parents gave them their blessing. See, this is what is a little confusing to me because they are six years apart, but they met 
in high school. So either someone was really advanced or someone was really far behind, but that just doesn't make sense to me. I mean, he's 23, she's 16. I know things are different in the South, but I feel like today that would not fly. That is a huge difference in maturity at that point. She's still a child and I'm sure he is too, but he's 23. He's been in his 20s for a second. He graduated from Virginia Tech and worked as a computer engineer. He had previously worked for Lockheed Martin, General Dynamics, and Northrop Grumman, where he was paid very well as they were some of the world's biggest defense companies. Luis would be a stay-at-home mom later in her motherhood, but she was barely home and never taking care of the children. The Turpins are Pentecostal Christians, and as part of their beliefs, the couple had 13 children because God called on them to have as many as possible. They had their first child when he was 26 and she 20. They would have 10 daughters and 3 sons between 1988 and 2015. That's a 27 year span. I feel like most of us can't even fathom the idea of being pregnant for like even one year, but to be pregnant like on and off, but pretty much consistently for 27 years. Oh my gosh, it's incredible what women's bodies can do, but that must have been so exhausting. David was abusive towards Luis and Luis would have terrible mood swings. None of the kids knew which side of their mother they were going to get. The Turpin family lived in Fort Worth, Texas until 1999. Jennifer, the firstborn, attended Meadow Creek Elementary School. Other students remember her having unwashed hair and clothes. They called her skinny bones as she was malnourished and didn't want to be her friend. She was pulled out of public school in the third grade, and that would be the last time a Turpin child would be schooled outside of home. The couple filed for homeschooling and called their school the Sandcastle Day School. This way, it was easier to keep the abuse behind closed doors. Then they moved to the city of Rio Vista, Texas. In 2007, the Turpin parents moved 10 of their children into an isolated trailer on their property and left on adventures and lived in a motel. David and Luis took the two youngest children and left the rest of the children to fend for themselves, bringing groceries on a weekly basis, but not enough to feed everybody. They were starved and hungry most of the time, sometimes resorting to eating mustard, ketchup, ice, and leaves and grass to fill their stomachs. After the family left the Rio Vesta property in 2010, neighbors found feces and beds with ropes tied to them inside the house, along with dead cats and piles of garbage. So obviously the kids weren't allowed to use the bathroom, which is why there are human feces on the floor. And that must have been so dehumanizing to them and disgusting but at the same time that is sadly all that they know at this point but wouldn't that be torturous to david and louise also like even though you're torturing your kids don't you feel like you're torturing yourself by having to live in that type of filth they are living in a literal toxic environment along with dead cats and piles of garbage i think we can all agree that it, that is completely disgusting. I feel like the parents must also have some type of mental illness if they are able to live in that type of environment because I don't think any normal human being 
would want to live that way. I mean, dead cats and feces, that is a whole other level. In 2010, the Turpins moved to Paris, California. It's a nice, upper-middle-class, newly developed neighborhood. It looks like the neighborhood my parents live in in Southern California. The houses are big and it's hard to see how behind one of those doors, there's a nightmare situation no one could even believe. Neighbors reported that the children were silent unless spoken to, would skip rather than walk, and appeared malnourished and pale. Everywhere they lived, they lived in filth. Sometimes they would wake up and not be able to breathe from the waste in the house. They themselves weren't allowed to shower or take baths. They were only allowed to shower once a year. At the time Jordan escaped from her home, it had been a year since she had taken a bath. None of them had ever been to a dentist either. But not being able to bathe was nothing like the abuse and torture they received. Their parents would regularly use the Bible to explain their behavior towards the kids, saying that they were allowed to punish them or even kill them if they did not obey their parents. The children were starved and were only allowed one meal a day, which was typically bread and peanut butter. And if they ever stole food from their parents from being hungry, they could be thrown across the room, pushed down the stairs, or chained up these were the regular punishments the children received. On one occasion, a child was hogtied with a rope, and when they escaped, that's when they upgraded to chains. David would use belts and sticks on them, and eventually use dog kennels with padlocks to lock them up in. Sometimes, the older siblings would have to put the younger ones in them, or it would be them instead. They weren't allowed to open windows or look outside. They were barely allowed to stand up, and they had to be sitting most of the time. Rooms and closets were filled with unopened and unworn children's toys and clothes, as Luis had an obsession with collecting them. There were dozens of Monopoly collector boards that they had no intention of ever using. And of course, none of the children were allowed to touch them or play with them unless they had permission. There were dozens of clothes that were brand new with the tag still on them, but the children had to wear the same filthy clothes day in and day out. Luis had a spending problem and had racked up thousands of dollars worth of credit card debt buying these items. In 2011, David had filed for bankruptcy, and of course, the budget they had to cut was for their kids' needs. So as the kids were fed their once-a-day bread and peanut butter, their parents ate pretty well. They had McDonald's, frozen meals, and other packaged and pre-made goods. Some of the kids even had to prepare their parents' meals, but weren't allowed to eat them. Sometimes, they would even leave pies out for the kids to smell, but they weren't allowed to eat it. To mentally torture someone like this by waving food in their face when they're not allowed to eat and buying all of these toys and clothes that they're not allowed to play with and they have to wear the same clothes every single day, that is like sadistic mental torture and there is something absolutely wrong with these parents. Because this torture isn't even out of punishment, it just seems like they're enjoying this, that they just believe that they're allowed to do this to their kids. You just have to be really sadistic to be like, oh, let me make a pie and I'm gonna leave it here and just watch them suffer. That is just so intensely cruel. 
A few of the older trusted siblings did receive smartphones. That way, the parents can contact them to do things for them. It's how Jordan would eventually get her hands on a phone. On this phone, Jordan used the internet for the first time and was able to discover content and music and Justin Bieber. Yup, you heard me right. She became obsessed with Justin Bieber. She was thrown into the world of Justin Bieber and by watching his videos, she realized there was more to the world than she knew. All she had known her whole life was what her parents showed her. Life was about obeying your parents, staying inside, only eating once a day, not being able to play with toys when you wanted to. But in these videos, she saw teens hanging out with each other, going swimming, taking car rides. She wanted that life and dreamt of it. She's watching shows where a daughter can open up to her mother and she wonders if that's what it's supposed to really be like. I can't even imagine what it's like to be sheltered in such a way that when you watch videos, you're like, wait, wait, what? People are allowed to just swim. People are allowed to just hang out with their friends. People are allowed to have friends. Like you contact people outside of your family and that's normal. Their parents did such a good job of hiding the true world from their children and having their children believe that this is just what life is. It would be like us, the average person, seeing a video of what heaven is like. You know, like you're watching a video, you're like, wait, that is actually what life is? But I totally get watching like certain relationships just happen in real life or in shows and you're like, wait, people can have relationships like that? Like anytime I see brothers and sisters getting along, I'm like, wait, wait a minute. This is freaking weird. Like no way people act like this. Like you can, you're, you're close to your brother. I feel like a lot of us have been there when it comes to family relationships. So she's definitely not alone in that feeling. Watching these videos also inspired her to write her own music and make videos in hopes that people would see it. And they did. Jordan had a secret YouTube account where she was uploading videos of her singing. One person even realized that she was always inside and always up late. She shared with the person her routine and how things went in her home. The person was alarmed and told her that's not normal and that she should call the police. It was really validating for her to hear because a part of her knew that how she lived and was treated wasn't right. I feel like in modern day, us being obsessed and having our phones everywhere is considered a bad thing. And you know, I, I kind of agree with that sentiment, but in this case, this phone was kind of her lifesaver. It showed her what the real world kind of looks like. I mean, the real world is not a Justin Bieber music video, but those moments can happen. And she was able to connect with a stranger and realize that, yeah, that unhappy feeling that she's been feeling inside, but that's all she knows, isn't right. That is not how you're supposed to be feeling. That is not how you're supposed to be treated. And she has someone to validate that for her. And I can only imagine that that must have been such a relief. One of Luis's sisters later said that David and Luis refused to let her see the children. And another sister said she had been concerned about the children's weight. But Luis's aunt said the family pictures posted on Facebook had made her think that they were one big happy family. 
Even with all that you can assume happens in their house, the kids did go out and have some normal experiences. David and Louise took all 13 children to Disneyland in nearby Anaheim. The kids were all dressed in matching Disney t-shirts. David and Louise were obsessed with Disney and Disneyland. The license plates on the couple's two cars were D-Land and D-L Forever, which also stood for David and Louise. It is so ironic that they are Disney adults and they are obsessed with this overall feeling of happiness, family, joy, and innocence. Yet, they are some of the most evil people in the world. I say this all the time, duality does exist, but this one is just so freaking far-fetched and so polar opposites. But what can I say? Duality exists. The couple had their wedding vows renewed in Las Vegas in an Elvis Presley-themed chapel. The kids had all washed up and dressed in matching clothing to celebrate their parents. They've been told to act normal, and if anything goes wrong, Child Protective Services would separate them and they would never see each other ever again. This is all they knew. All they knew is what their parents have told them and instilled in them. They are terrified of their parents and believe they are the highest authority. So even though they're out in public and there are other adults around, they're too afraid to seek help. In a 2020 Diane Sawyer interview with Jordan and Jennifer Turpin, Jordan remembers those days as being the best considering their situation, while Jennifer fights back tears, remembering those moments as conflicting. She was happy to be out, but she knew it was all a lie. David and Louise had been planning to move the family to Oklahoma at the time of their arrest. Jordan overheard her parents speaking about the move and decided it was time to call the police. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Back to that early morning in 2018 on the street, Jordan tries to call 911, but she's shaking so bad she can barely press the numbers. But she does it. After the 911 operator picks up, Jordan tells her she just ran away from home. She's stumbling on her words, full of adrenaline. She's never talked to anyone on the phone before, let alone police who could get her parents in trouble, or worse, bring her back to them. The operator asks if she knows what street she's on. She doesn't. She's never been out in her neighborhood before, or the world for that matter. She doesn't know what street she lives on. She's standing in the middle of the road as she's talking to the operator. 
she doesn't know about sidewalks. She tells the operator she lives with a family of 15 and her parents are abusive. She says her parents hit them, throw them across the room, and she has two siblings that are chained up. They were in pain and crying and asked Jordan to get help. She couldn't see them suffer anymore. And that's when she found the courage to leave the house. The operator calls for an officer to meet her at her GPS location. Jordan is terrified. She's out in the world by herself for the first time, and she's unsure if her parents know she's missing. She knew, even with the police on their way, if they found her out there knowing she called the police, they would kill her. During this whole conversation Jordan has with the dispatcher, the way she speaks is noticeably different. She has a different vocabulary and cadence when she speaks. When talking about her sisters being chained up, she said the chains were making places, and what she meant was they were causing bruises. The chains were bruising them. When asked if anyone in the house needed any medication, she stated she didn't know what medication was. The dispatcher stays on the phone with Jordan until an officer comes. The officer, Deputy Anthony Kalachi, was just about to end his shift. He's had a long day of robberies and other deputies being shot at. He thought he'd take the call and end the night on a good note, and when it comes to runaways, it usually means taking them back to their parents to patch things up. When he arrives, the body cam of the officer shows that Jordan is obviously flustered. She's never spoken to a stranger before, let alone the police. Remember, when they were out in public, they never spoke. They only spoke when spoken to. He's an officer, he's in full uniform with gear, he's bigger than her, and he's serious, showing no emotions on his face. Of course, she's terrified. She herself looks and sounds way younger than a 17-year-old. But she gets it out what's happening to her and her siblings. She tells him her little sisters are chained up. But not because mother just felt like it. They were chained up for stealing mother's food. I feel like this just sounds like some wacko scary movie where the kids have to call their parents like mother and father. Like, oh no, mother wouldn't like that. You know, like they're, they call their parents mother and father. That's really weird to me. Although I do have my parents... <laughs> in my phone as mother and father, but I did that because I thought it was hilarious. Again, Jordan is acting frantic and terrified. Her story is jumping all over the place and she's talking a little funny. So the officer asks her too, does she take any medication? And she doesn't know what that is. Then she goes to say she's never taken a pill in her life. I feel like this officer is thinking that this is just like, a regular runaway, which, you know, probably happens from time to time. And it's probably the same situation. You know, maybe some of these kids do have some disorder or something that's going on that requires them to take medication. And because of the way that she's acting, he's probably thinking like that's the case. But no, it's because she's just been abused her whole life. She's never had experience from the outside world and she's barely had an education. The officer asks if she has any proof that her siblings are chained up. And that's when she shows him a picture of her siblings chained to the bed. Again, she tells the officer the places that go in on them because she doesn't know the word bruise. She's trying to say that they're bruised. Her sisters in the picture look sad, pale, and malnourished. 
Officer Kalachi asks if she's injured, and she doesn't know what that means either, but she's not. Around 7 a.m. in the morning that Sunday, police cars pull up to the house to conduct a welfare check. Because children are potentially in danger, they don't need a warrant. An officer asks if Jordan wants to walk up with them, but she's afraid that they'd kill her in front of everybody. The officers have to bang on the door for two minutes because no one is answering. But when David and Louise Turpin finally open the door, they look like deer in headlights and they're breathing heavily. That's not sus at all. When the officers searched the home, it was a house of horrors. The smell was awful from human feces. There were piles of trash everywhere, dead pets, moldy food, and chains hooked up to the bed. One child, a 22-year-old man, had been chained to their bed for weeks. After they were rescued, it was apparent just how bad their situation was. It was so bad that the hospital staff couldn't help but cry. Some of the kids had difficulty walking from being so emaciated. They had stunted growth, heart damage, a preteen had an arm the size of a four-month-old baby's arm. Their language was limited by the lack of socialization and isolation. Jennifer, who was 29 at the time she was rescued, weighed only 82 pounds. In fact, when police raided the home, they believed that all the children were under 18 as they were so small and frail, but eight of them were over the age of 18. In terms of their education, they never actually received homeschooling. Jennifer only had a third grade level education. All the other kids had to teach each other what they knew, which of course was limited. Jordan learned the alphabet from her sisters. I feel like even though they at most had a third grade level education, I feel like they were still really smart. Humans are so intelligent that just from each other, they were able to learn so much. They were able to count, they were able to read, they were able to talk, you know, in the capacity that they could. I think that's pretty impressive. In court, some of the children read their statements. Many of them showed resilience and forgiveness. One child thanked their parents for teaching them about God. Another said her parents took her life from her, but now she's gaining it back. The kids even said that they knew their parents loved them and that they loved their parents. The Turpins were charged with 12 counts of torture, 12 counts of false imprisonment, seven counts of abuse of a dependent adult, and six counts of child abuse. David also received an additional charge of a lewd act on a child under 14. So they pleaded not guilty at first, but on February 22, 2019, David and Luis each changed their not guilty pleas to guilty to one count of torture, three counts of willful child cruelty, four counts of false imprisonment, and six counts of cruelty to an adult dependent. In David's statement, he claimed he never intended to cause harm to his children. Luis was apologetic for the damage she caused and said she loved them more than they could know. That's just such complete bullshit. I don't know who they think is believing what they're saying, but there's no way that they could actually be feeling that way. They only feel that way because they got caught. Otherwise, they would have done that to their kids until they died. 
is just so idiotic to say in front of people like I didn't mean to do any harm you know I just thought chaining them up to their bed was for their good who the fudge I almost said the f word who the heck is going to believe you when you say that it's even disrespectful to their kids and so dismissive to their kids that they pleaded not guilty. How do you think you're not guilty after all that you did? Like, it is so apparent that you starved your kids. There are 13 kids you have that have evidence that know what you did to them. There's no debating that whatsoever. So they look entirely stupid, especially with David's bowl cut hair. I'm sorry, this man is like in his 60s or 70s or whatever, and he has a bowl cut. Like, it is almost comical seeing this man with a salt and pepper bowl cut on his head. Sir, who let you out of the house like that? If that is not a sign of mental illness in itself, I don't know what it is. David was eventually charged with perjury in relation to affidavits he filed with the California Department of Education over the years, in which he asserted that his children were being educated in a private school. Luis's attorney requested Luis be placed in a pre-trial diversion program for mental health treatment due to a diagnosis of histrionic personality disorder. The judge denied the request on the grounds that Turpin posed a risk to the public. Both were sentenced to life imprisonment with the possibility of parole after 25 years. Experts believe they will never receive parole due to the severity of the crime, making it effectively a life sentence. David was originally sent to the Mule Creek State Prison before being sent to the California State Prison, Cocorin, if I'm saying that correctly, and Luis is in the Central California Women's Facility. I feel like they should at least be in prison for how long they have imprisoned their own children, which is like 29, 30 years. Even then, what they're experiencing in prison is not, cannot even come close to how they treated their own children in the world where their kids are technically free to go wherever. So the parents have been brought to justice and all the children spent two months in the hospital after they were rescued. The first bit of freedom Jennifer felt was just after they were rescued, being in the hospital. Music started playing and so she cleared the floor so she could dance. Jordan and three other sisters went to a park for the first time and she noticed the fresh air and the grass. She said, how could heaven be better than this? And I wish I can say after that it was smooth sailing and they went on to live happier lives, but even after all the torture and abuse they endured, they ended up in another house of horror. Houses, I should say. After the hospital, six minors were put into two foster homes. In October 2019, five of the younger children were adopted by an abusive family who continued to torment them. Allegations included hitting them in the face with sandals, pulling their hair, hitting them with a belt, and striking their heads. They were forced to eat excessively and then forced to eat their own vomit. The foster father was accused of grabbing and fondling them and kissing them on the mouth. Jordan's own experience was that she was still starved in her foster home, going 24 hours without food, even begging her social worker for money so she could get something to eat. Marcelino Olguin, 63, Rosa Olguin, 58, and Lenny's Giovanna Olguin, 37, 
were arrested and charged in November with nearly a dozen offenses, including child cruelty, false imprisonment, and witness intimidation. So two of those people were their foster parents, and the other was the daughter of the foster parents. And it's just so incredibly sad what the foster care system is in the U.S. And the fact that these kids who have lived their life being tortured and starved were just put in another home that was the exact same. I want to say what are the odds, but this is literally what the foster care system is. It's just like there's so many bad apples that are actually foster parents. And wouldn't you think after what they've just been through, you would triple check the new home that they're going into to make sure that they are finally safe. Because these poor kids just left this house of horrors into another and that just instills in them what humanity is. My ex was also a foster kid and he went through these exact same experiences. One of his foster parents actually adopted him and another girl and they would have to finish all their food on their plate, no exceptions. And if they threw it back up, which the girl did, she had to eat her own vomit. This shouldn't be a regular thing in foster homes and yet it still happens. I feel like there has to be a better screening process when it comes to foster parents and I feel like it is a difficult situation because I'm sure that they always need more foster parents and when you're that desperate you're going to get some really bad people who are doing it for the wrong reasons. But in July 2022, the Turpin siblings filed lawsuits in California's Riverside County Superior Court against the foster care agency that placed them in a home where they were allegedly subjected to further abuse and neglect. Two nearly identical lawsuits were filed, with one representing the two older siblings and the other representing the four younger siblings. Riverside County Foster Family Network and ChildNet Youth and Family Services were named as defendants in the lawsuit. In early 2020, the Riverside County Deputy District Attorney reported that the children were living independently, working, and going to school, and that one had even graduated from college. I do have varying information though, and it kind of seems contradictory. I feel like these things could have happened at some point in time and may not have been at the same time. And I believe at some point, some of the children were even homeless and none were authorized to use the hundreds of thousands of dollars donated to them. The money was placed in a trust controlled by a court-appointed public guardian. Joshua Turpin, one of the boys, stated that he could not access the funds and was denied the purchase of a bicycle. During her interview with Diane Sawyer, Jordan stated that she was released without warning from a foster home with no life skills, no plans for housing, or knowledge of how to get food and health care. According to the report, Riverside County has hired a private law firm to investigate allegations of abuse by social services. From what I've heard about foster care, I really do think that they set kids up for failure. They are doing the bare minimum by just trying to find a roof to put over these kids' heads, but that's not enough. They're kids. They need emotional support. They need mental health support. They need to learn how to be out there in the real world. And I feel like the US in general really fails with this when it comes to children and when it comes to 
prisoners who are being released into the world. Like why the hell did I need to take AP biology or AP history when I needed to be taking AP how does taxes work and like how do I get healthcare? I digress but I just feel so bad for the Turpin family that after all this, they just were not handled with the care that they needed. But today, Jordan and her siblings are finally safe. Jordan lives in a light-filled Los Angeles area apartment with a stocked refrigerator. The walls are decorated with motivational quotes and there are splashes everywhere of purple, Jordan's favorite color. Her siblings are regular overnight guests. Life is good, finally. She's a TikTok star now and does some modeling, having modeled for magazines like People and Elle. Jennifer, the eldest, also recently got engaged. After being assessed at a third grade level when she escaped her family home, Jordan went on to earn a high school diploma. Five of the other kids were working towards a college degree. But even though they stepped out of the dark cave that was their home and finally have their freedom just like most of us do, they still face hardships with the trauma that they carry with them. Adjusting to adulthood after a childhood of abuse isn't easy. Jordan remembers struggling when she worked at Taco Bell in 2021. She said, I had just gotten out of an abusive situation and so I was always jumpy. I would say sorry every five seconds. Some of the teenagers would pick on me. I tried not to let it get to me, but sometimes I would go in the bathroom and cry. But being as optimistic as she is, she said that there was a lot to learn there. This situation just makes me so sad because she is literally just trying to make it in the real world now and live a normal life. But of course, like she has this whole history to her and people are so freaking mean and rude. So I want to really talk about Jordan Turpin for a hot minute because can we all agree that she is such an amazing young woman? I mean, I am able to share this story because of her bravery, because she wanted to help and save her siblings. You can just see the resilience in her eyes. Like she is absolutely a fighter. You can just tell that that is in her. And I think that is so beautiful. Of course it affects her and of course it changes a lot of things in her life, but she is not letting that stop her from living the life that she wants. I love how she and all of her siblings came out of this and they wasted absolutely no time getting their lives back. I think it's so beautiful to see that. It's like, it just reminds me that even on my worst days, that I still have it good, that there is still a sky, that there is still grass, that I can go outside and I can smell fresh air and I can eat whatever I want, even if it's wrecking my body for the day. We have so many privileges we don't even think about and we love to complain about what else we don't have when we already have so much just by being here. And these siblings just came out appreciating every single thing that they saw. I would even say that not a lot of regular people, like people who didn't go through that horrible of a situation, have their mindset. It hasn't even been a decade since they were rescued and I feel like they are just making the most of their lives and they're not letting what happened to them stunt their growth and stunt the life that they now can have. 
I really do hope the best for the Turpin family. Like, I love seeing them shine. I'm on TikTok and I see Jordan from time to time and I love how she is just so free and she's doing what she loves and does what she wants and has no care in the world. And it's also, again, a reminder, you should just let people live their lives. Like whoever you see online, whoever you see on the streets, like whatever they're doing, however they're talking, whatever they're saying, unless it's like some really negative racist stuff, that you should just let people live their lives because you have no, no, no idea how much they have been through. And I'm going to end this episode with saying that Jordan hopes to become a motivational speaker and dreams of writing books. She says she also wants to use her voice to improve the broken foster care system. And she says no matter how bad it is, there is a way out and it does get better. It won't ever go away. Like when you go through that kind of trauma, you can't forget it, but it will get better. And there's hope. You can heal from it. How amazing is this young woman. She just is such a bright light. And I do believe that the best is yet to come for her. But that is the case of the Turpin family. Obviously, I'm just in awe of Jordan Turpin and her whole family because they just seem like naturally such great people and they literally deserve the best. And their parents deserve the absolute worst. So now let's get into some cookies and crime trivia. Starting with the cookies, since this is a vegan cookie, let's talk about veganism. Fun fact, I was vegan for about five months or something, and it was literally just because I was bored. I mean, I was watching all of those documentaries about food and animals and everything. It was mainly just because I had been watching some YouTube videos of this vegan YouTuber and the food she made just looked amazing and I wanted to try it out. So I was vegan for five months, but now I'm back to McDonald's and all the things that will eventually kill me a lot sooner. Anyway, so veganism became very popular in the 2010s. Celebrities were coming out as being vegan. A lot of vegan options started popping up. Even the UN praised the vegan plant-based diet. And it isn't as popular and talked about as it used to be in the 2010s, but it's still a very big thing across the world. But what country has the most vegans? Is it A, the UK, B, the US, C, Canada, or D, Indonesia? I'll give you five seconds. The answer is A, the UK. This really shocked me because I would not think that like veganism is a big thing in the UK. Most of us, maybe it's just me, don't really know exactly what UK cuisine is. Other than the fact that their national dish is like tikka masala, which is kind of weird. They like beans on toast and they have fish and chips. So I'm really curious to know what vegan dishes they have over there. But now you know, the UK has the most vegans per capita, I'm sure. I'm sure it's per capita and not total since they're so tiny. And now for crime trivia. So in the end, we talked a lot about foster care and the foster care system. And there's so many really, really sad statistics when it comes to foster care. But I feel like it's also really important to know this information because the more awareness we have around this, the more that we can talk about it and fight for people who are in foster care and are leaving foster care. So the question is, what percentage of kids who age out of foster care become homeless within the first four years? I know this question is kind of icky, but again, I feel like we should talk about it. 
And this just tells you a lot about the foster care system. So take a guess at what percentage of kids become homeless within the first four years after foster care. Are you ready? It's 50% of kids. So I believe in the US, roughly every year, there's about 400 to 500,000 kids that are in foster care. So if you don't know, aging out of foster care means you were never adopted or you never reunited with your biological parents. And so you turn 18 and you're still in the foster care system. So these kids who age out of foster care don't really know stability and they have no one there to really teach them the life skills just like Jordan went through and they are just tossed onto the street and now they have to fend for themselves. But yeah, sorry to end it on such a sad note, but that is what the foster care system is. And I really hope that one day it gets better because kids deserve better. So I will wrap it up there. I hope you enjoyed this episode or got something out of it. If you enjoy Cookies and Crime, make sure to follow and subscribe so you could be the first one to hear these episodes when they come out. As always, there is merch available on the Cookies and Crime website. A new episode comes out bi-weekly and I will see you guys next time. Stay safe out there. Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.